Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Listeners, welcome back to the Humane Podcast. Today, I have a special guest. I have with us today Fernando Gomez Baquero, PhD, who's at Cornell Tech uh, in Roosevelt Island in New York City. Fernando and I have gotten to get to know each other through some of the Cornell Tech Bloomberg events hosted in the city and everything about their MBA tech programs and innovation in New York City. Fernando, thanks so much for joining us on Humane. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a trying time here in the world, but also an exciting time, I think, in the education industry. Traditionally, we are all focused on in-person learning and sometimes online, but there is a a rapid shift and a response as we're now in this um, rapidly evolving world, especially with COVID-19 and coronavirus. I'd like us to just start off and hear about, you know, what is your team and your organization and university doing with all these new updates? Well, I mean, you can imagine that being a university here, we obviously have a lot of international people. And uh, the most responsible thing was to really from early early on start monitoring and tracking everything that was happening. We, we had been monitoring the situation for a while now. 
Cornell University in Ithaca and all of its campuses. And uh, we've had a wonderful communications team that has put a lot of uh, relevant uh, information. And, uh, you know, if anyone really wants to know that, I mean, you can find that information at Cornell on uh, COVID-19. And uh, we did think that the most uh, uh, reasonable thing to do initially was to fairly quickly move every single class to online, which we did pretty fast. And uh, gotta say, you know, the good thing is that we were already prepared for that. Most of our classes were already streaming and we already had a lot of experience doing that. But now we also decided that it would be good to let people, you know, really early move, go be with their family, be safe, or at least uh, stay hunkered down. So we canceled classes uh, at least for a couple of weeks and we're monitoring the situation. We hope that everybody stays safe and uh, and follows the guidelines that uh, the state is uh, putting out. It's same here as well. You know, we're both in the education space and, and I work for Galvanize. We're one of the bootcamp companies and we've traditionally had a hybrid model of both in-person and online programs, but we've had our all hands-on and in the last couple of weeks have shifted to all remote for everything, consumer and enterprise. Our goal is that's going to be running for at least the next six weeks, potentially up to 12 weeks. You know, we definitely have to see what that timeline looks like. In the New York City area, many of our listeners may know that public schools with the K-12 system have completely gone online through April 20th. So that will probably go throughout the duration of the calendar year. We'll have to see what that means for AP exams and IB testing for those in high schools as well. But it should present, I think, a good opportunity for learning. You know, I think online can always be just as engaging um, as a remote environment as well. There's a lot of tricks to the trades for online education, whether using tools like Zoom and Slack or other uh, engagement techniques. I hope it'll definitely be an opportunity for us as humanity to get closer together, uh, right? To pick up the phone again, to connect on video, to have a lot more interaction that we may have lost out on recently. So I think if there's any diamond in the rough, that could be it from the COVID-19 response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you pointed out something interesting is, you know, I think that we we live in a good time that uh, we definitely can move a lot of things to virtual and we are we're able to shift uh, shift to that pretty fast and i hope that everybody knows that uh, by doing that we can deliver you know exactly the same content and and continue to work that way so this is really a test of the the future of work right what we really call the future of work and how is it going to look like but we already had a had an idea what it looked like so now is this a a real-time test, A-B tests of how to do the future of work. For sure. And, you know, giving a segue to the future of work, recently, a few months ago on Humane, we had Karen Bhatia from NYCEDC talking about all the technology developments in the New York City ecosystem. There are more digital hubs spawning up in New York than anywhere else in the United States, from blockchain, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and innovation labs, even with 3D printing and manufacturing, New York City has become the hub for tech innovation in the U.S. And, you know, one of the ways we originally connected was around the MBA tech program, the tech MBA program at Cornell Tech, which I think is very much focused on future work. So switching into more about Cornell Tech, Fernando, can you let us know about um, what is Cornell Tech, its mission and its location here in New York City? Yeah, so Cornell Tech is 
the somewhat brand new campus of Cornell University in the city, this time in Roosevelt Island. The idea is not new. The idea um, actually of creating this campus came about 10 years ago, the administration of Michael Bloomberg. And it was created as an economic development story or as an economic development driver for the city of New York. At that point in time, 10 years ago, New York was very different from what it is right now. We thought that we really needed a place where academia really got integrated with business and basically became this creator of new businesses. And 10 years ago, we sort of noticed how academia could play an interesting role doing that. But it wasn't pretty clear in New York as it maybe it was clear in Silicon Valley with Stanford University. So here the city decided, why don't we basically get the best of both worlds? We revitalize an area that hasn't been used for a while, which is the southern side of Roosevelt Island. And then we use that space to bring a campus and a university that is going to focus a lot of engineering and scientific resources to create the companies in the future. And that's the purpose of the campus. The campus has been open for two and a half years. We have been working like crazy to scale up. We have been working like crazy to build our programs. And right now we have 450 people, 450 students. Uh, We have faculty members, we have staff members, and all of us really focusing on entrepreneurship and creating new companies. And I think that's one of the highlights that you and I were talking about offline before is that new companies and new innovation is the lifeblood of technology, not just in New York City, but across the whole country. And one thing that we've noted is a lot of students who come to Cornell Tech come for several reasons. Uh, and two of those big reasons include moving into research and, and leadership roles at companies, whether they could be product managers or, or tech champions in different organization capacities. And secondly, to be entrepreneurs, to launch startups, to spin off startups and spin out startups. And so could you share with us more about what that looks like today? Yeah, I mean, you said it. I think that what our students and the people that are taking a look at Cornell Tech, what really drives them and motivates them to come to us is that we no longer see entrepreneurship and academia as a binary thing. We don't see it as, okay, you need to do your master's program, and then when you finish, you do entrepreneurship and you build a company. On the contrary, what we see is while you're in the academic environment, you can be doing your degree, you can be working towards your degree, but at the same time, you should be creating a company. And we are more than capable of not only giving you the space to do that, but training you to do that with the people that have done that. And it was the realization that, You know, you can do both. You don't really need to choose between one or the other one. So the people that come to Cornell Tech are people that want to have that academic and entrepreneurship experience at the same time, which is a lot of work, to be honest. So I take my hat off to them because they already know that it's going to be a lot of work. So and that's, you know, what that's one interesting part about it is every single program that we have here. We have eight master's degrees, five that are Cornell Tech degrees, and three that are, well, two soon to be three that are dual degrees with a Technion. Then all of them not only are, you know, are focused on either you know, what they are, which is a tech MBA, LLM, computer science, electrical engineering, operations research, or they're focused on the applications of computer science, information technology to either connected media, health technologies, or urban tech. So that's in general. But really what motivates them and drives them is that if you take a look at that that set 
of degrees. It basically is a just the right combination of skills to build a company. And so once you take those people that are, one of them is a computer scientist, one of them is an engineer, one of them is, a, is an MBA, one of them is a lawyer, and you put them together in teams, you build a very early stage, very good company. And then you give them the opportunity and the training and the process to actually do that, which is a, our program called Studio. And voila, you have a completely different experience because it's not just that you're doing your degree away from everybody. Actually, what our students really like is that you're doing your degree with everybody and with everybody you are creating companies. But it's also with people that are very different from you that have different skills and expertise. So let's say I'm ready to go through a program at Cornell Tech. There's many programs as you're discussing. There's the Technion Cornell Dual Master's Degree in Connective Media, there's the dual master's degree in health tech and urban tech, and then the runway startup postdoctoral program, in addition to a few other programs. So how would I know which program's right for me? It really depends on you know where you are in your life right now, what you want to do. I say if you want to be an entrepreneur, our goal is that we will have a program for you, right? So we would be able to help you. I think if you are uh, working on a company right now, you've been working as a program manager or a project manager for a while, and you really want to have that experience of saying, okay, I can give myself a year to do this, basically improve my skills, know something better, and at the same time, have that experience of building an early stage company, our master's programs are amazing to do that. Really, you know, either if you select the tech MBA or you select the computer science or electrical engineering or ORI operations research or even law. I mean, they're great career builders and they really let you explore something new that you might have not explored before. If you are looking, okay, if you are maybe a computer scientist and you're saying, I really like computer science, but I want to just really delve into a focus on something that I really like. So, for example, health. How can I use all of this knowledge of computer science into health? Or how can I use all of this knowledge of computer science for media or for urban tech, which is the one that we're going to open up right now? Then our dual degree programs are the ones for you. You know, there's I have not seen programs that have that particular focus anywhere. And I think that is super novel and, and very interesting. And then if you have a PhD and have an idea on how to create a company but don't know how to get started, definitely the runway program is for you. And I think that's one of the, the runway program is a, one of the key programs that we have that it's under the umbrella of our collaboration with the Technion. And that collaboration is called the Jacobs Technion Cornell Institute. So it's an institute that was formed with a very generous gift from the Jacobs family. And the institute, what it's trying to do is experiment build things that we haven't done before in the academic environment. And one of those is taking postdocs and telling them, you know what, I can train you to be an amazing CEO. And that's what the Runway program wants to do. So let's talk a little bit more about the Runway and the spinoffs program. I think as I've mentioned, and as we've seen that uh, tech is the new lifeblood of New York City. And, you know, looking at separate of COVID-19 and coronavirus, the tech environment is very strong in New York. You know, startups are now one of the fastest growing job creators in New York City with small businesses and in all industries, as you're describing, like urban tech and health tech, connected media and other industries. So what are uh, a little bit more about the runway program? What are some of the startups that have been scaling up and doing well in New York City to date? 
Well, um, we have had 28 uh, postdocs come in and build their own companies, so 28 companies. And of those 28, I think uh, we have a range. So we have from companies that are still one person and still, you know, initially trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to work and how to do this to a company like Nanit, uh, which is uh, Nanit was created about four to five years ago, baby monitor with uh, computer vision technology to help you and your baby sleep better. So if you just had a baby and want to sleep, I would definitely recommend it. And uh, this is a company that, you know, four years ago did not exist. And then just last year, they were named one of the top 50, 50 best inventions by Time magazine. So that just tells you the power of building things with the right community, the right way, and also the power of amazing entrepreneurs. I take no credit for any of the wonderful things that other entrepreneurs are doing. I just say that what we give them is all of the support uh, that they can get. And as Danid, we really focuses on computer vision. We have companies working on genomics, on computational biology, on computer vision for construction and infrastructure, on a better simulation technologies for spaces, on big data, on other types of devices. So it's really a wide range of applications. And uh, I think that if you browse through through the website, you'll 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 get lost in a wonderful journey of a whole bunch of interesting companies. And they're hiring, by the way, <laughs> which is good. Excellent. And all these companies, whether we're looking at Nanit or others, I think um Often it's it's thought about in times of disruption and change, like we're seeing with coronavirus, a lot of people hunker down, but I think there's so much more you can do. Some of the best companies and startups are created in these times of financial distress. I mean, we look back to 2008 and 2009, this is when Uber was created. This is when a lot of other major tech companies were founded because it's the right time when people can launch ventures, spark up innovation. So it's it's amazing to hear that you now have over 28 ventures that are all hiring and growing and scaling up in the New York City area across these industries. I like that you highlighted Nanit, particularly around babies, because, you know, traditionally we know that uh, in times of uncertainty, especially social isolation, right, perhaps in nine months or 12 months, we're going to see a lot of babies on the market. For sure we will. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Um, And so beyond companies like this and, and what they're doing here, you know, something that I find really interesting as an individual who's been involved in tech and attended many hackathons and even some of those were at my university, University of Florida. I know we had an office for tech transfer and tech intellectual property. And I think one question that a lot of students ask when they're launching startups or ventures at university is, how does that university partner with me with tech IP? And you know, what's the option so that we could definitely make a win-win option? So what does that look like at Cornell Tech? You know, the it's interesting that you ask that because tech transfer... It's something that has been done in universities for many, many years. And I think that the dynamic of tech transfer hasn't really changed for decades. And the dynamic is uh, you are a researcher uh, inside of a university system creating knowledge. That knowledge belongs to the university. And then the university is trying to find on the outside ways of commercializing that research. But for the most part, universities have not been very good at 
really teaching people how is it that they should commercialize it. So a lot of the technologies, at least on molecules, basically we're looking at pharmaceutical companies, let's try to commercialize it that way, or let's try to bring a CEO from the outside, or let's try to license it to a company, an external company. So what has happened is that that model is not true anymore with, uh, with the current economy, with the way that millennials and really most people are looking at their careers. And people are saying, well, you know what? I want to give it a shot. I want to be the vehicle for commercialization of my own ideas. Right? I don't think that was the case before. You know, before when I was starting building companies, people that thought, oh, maybe I can commercialize this were kind of crazy. If you were a scientist and you were trying to commercialize something, you're like, why? You don't know anything about this. Right? Let a business person do that. But that's not the case anymore. So what we realize now at Cornell Tech and at the Jacobs Institute is that the people that are creating the knowledge are the best vehicles for commercializing that knowledge. And that does not seem very revolutionary, but it kind of is. Because if you really think about that, what it comes to be now is empowering the people that are creating that knowledge and telling them, we trust that you are the one that knows better how to get this to fruition. We trust that you're the one that can make this into a billion dollar company. And what you need is for us to help you succeed, to give you the training that you need, to give you the tools that you need, to give you the resources, to give you the connections, to give you the environment that you need. And that's really the way that we're looking at it right now, not I really don't call it tech transfer anymore because the tech transfer sort of implies that I build it and then I transfer it to you, right? So I like I I own it and I build it and then here you go, I give it to someone else. I think that right now what we're really saying is more of okay, I build it and then I make it work. You know, I don't have to transfer it to anyone. I make it this large company that it is supposed to be, and you know that's the way that we're thinking about it right now. Time will tell if, if that is the right uh, way of doing it. But so far, I think that we've been very impressed with what happens when you just have that focus. Let people commercialize the things that they do. That's the best way of partnering with them, just empowering them. It's super important to empower with Tech IP. And, and I think one of the big reasons to build a startup at a university is you also have access to a network of alumni, you have access to capital. And, you know, in a market like today, these can be very important for getting a startup created. You know, access to capital, I think, is going to be very interesting over the next few months. I think a lot of startups are still accelerating investment rounds, uh, depending on what industries they're in. So that's maybe something I would share for any entrepreneurs listening to the podcast today or new startup founders you know, consider what industries you're getting into and how they could respond to the times, but also be relevant over the long term. And so wanted to hear for yourself, you know, Fernando, I know, you know, looking uh, at Cornell Tech and, and the different runways, I mean, you have startups coming out from consumer education, enterprise, finance, health, media and nonprofits. And I know urban tech is new, but you've mentioned you have even health tech. So, you know, as we're now in these new trying times, how are some of your ventures responding in the health tech vertical? Yeah, actually, I kind of understated the the amount of companies that we created because I told you about the runways, but we also have a portfolio of companies that have been created from our master's students. And in our portfolio, we we have invested now in uh, about 41 of those companies. So like uh, no, about 40, 41 plus 28 
So there's there's a whole bunch of companies that we have created. Even more, there's some that we unfortunately don't track. So I think our companies, uh, we, we have a lot of them that are looking at the next wave of how do you make things. So we have some that are pretty straightforward actually trying to attack this. One of our startups uh, has sequenced everything from the space station down to the basement of New York. The startup is called Biosha. And Biosha and their team are working super hard right now sequencing COVID-19 and trying to understand what it is and trying to get that knowledge out, trying to figure out what are the best uh, and most rapid tests for it. We have a couple of, of our uh, postdocs that immediately switch their companies to say, we can develop better financing strategies for what needs to be to, to be done with COVID. We have some other ones that are saying, we definitely need to, to work a lot on finding a test for immune response uh, to COVID. So, you know, we have all of these people working on the health tech side, but at the same time, we have companies that are working on things that are very relevant just for work in days that you need to do remote work. Yeah, just this morning, I was talking to some of my, my companies, one of them is called Grow, that is doing feedback, feedback between teams. And it could be, right now it's on Slack, uh, they're gonna do it also on Microsoft Teams. But Grow is an interesting example because we were talking about, you know, feedback nowadays is not just about, oh, you know, how was this interaction? It's about how am I a leader in this uncertainty time? You know, what am I doing that is good? What am I doing that could be improved so that we really need people in uncertain times? So it's a great example of a digital company that is really looking forward and saying, well, we're enabling communication in a different way, but we're also enabling leadership in a different way. So, you know, we have people working on the on the future of work this way. We have people that are really building interesting tools for the gig economy. We have a company called uh, Corcus that is... Uh, building a way that people that are on the gig economy, content creators can better connect with brands. And nowadays, when there's a lot of uncertainty for these people that are uh, on the gig economy and they're content creators, it's great that they can say, oh, we have a tool to actually connect to brands. So those are just some of the examples. But definitely, we have a lot of people that are responding to this in a very positive way, saying what we're building not only already helped us, helped us before, it can help us even more in this situation. You know, I think what's so amazing about all these companies is they share something in common. They share about digital technology and bringing that to in real life experiences, which is what we're all experiencing today. And I think is the best way to make humans and machines work well together. Traditionally, when we're looking at these new startups in the digital space, it's been very big in the past few years that we're doing AI for X, right? All this investment in artificial intelligence and even in machine learning. And there's been a lot between hype and reality and raising capital and which phrase is right, which buzzword, how do you optimize for AI ML? There's been so much going on and so much to unpack around the AI and ML space. What are you seeing uh, with your startups, either through your master's students or the runway programs around AI for X? Yeah, um, I personally uh, don't like to say AI that much, right? There's very few segment of the population that is actually doing artificial intelligence. There's some that are. I think for the most part, what we're trying to teach our companies and the people that are with us is that 
they can be very open and honest with what they're doing. And most of them are either doing uh, some type, some interesting application of machine learning. Perhaps it could be some interesting signal processing, perhaps they're data mining in a particular way, or using tools like natural language processing and computer vision. And that's fine. You know, those are all words that they're real things. They have a real purpose. But even more than just trying to go there with the hype cycle of, oh, I'm using machine learning, oh, I'm using computer vision. What we really try to put forward always is what is the value of what you're creating? So I can tell you a whole bunch of interesting things about Nanit and their computer vision algorithm. But you know what's really interesting about Nanit is that they help parents and babies sleep. And that's the value. It really doesn't matter that much on the background how you're doing it. It's great that we have all of these tools and resources how we do, how we do it. But at the core, that's what we want them to, to talk about, the value that they're creating. And we want them to focus on that. How are they creating value? What's the value? And not just on using uh, buzzwords and trying to figure out, you know, what is the next buzzwords? So if our companies create value and they continue to create value, you know, they're going to be good for many, many years. And it sounds like all these companies that are creating value is around humans and ultimately human-computer interactions. I know that Cornell Tech has one of the leading human-computer interaction programs, very similar to other leading universities out there. You know, we know in the past few years, Stanford's come out with their high program. You know, uh, even Carnegie Mellon's had their human-computer interaction program. And now Cornell Tech has one as well, which is very much focused on bridging the gap, I would say, of humans and machines. What's your take on human-computer interaction? It's been around since the 1980s. It's becoming ever more present today with companies as we're moving into this fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. So I I think that for more detail, you know, you definitely uh, should go and talk to uh, Wendy Jew, which is one of our professors. And she's really the expert. She came from Stanford and uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful researcher that is doing many interesting things in human computer interaction. And I think one of the things that I've learned from Wendy, because I think that she's really the the person to to get to know for for human computer interaction is that we really need to think of the way that we interact with machines. And it is a very unidirectional way. We're still in a very primitive way on how we see machines, how we interact with them. And we assign a lot more of personality to them that they actually have, right? So uh, there were some interesting examples about us, you know, naming our car, putting names to our cars or yelling at microwaves or yelling at robots. I know that my Roomba have a name for it, right? So we tend to do these things and, and that just goes to show that we're, we have just scratched the surface of how is it that we can improve our interaction with robots. And I think it's wonderful that we have a lot of people Focusing on what that means, uh, whatever it means. It could be uh, in transportation, it could be in home use, it could be on the future of work. What does it mean to actually interact in a different way uh, with computers and with machines? And what are we missing by just still being very archaic in the way that we interact with them? You know, as we continue thinking about this interaction, it just reminds me in the times that we're living with coronavirus, COVID-19, that Everything has become no longer a human-to-human interaction, but literally and figuratively a human-to-machine interaction. I mean, from what we're doing with our podcast recording remote to every interaction on Zoom and Slack, it is a connected experience. And I think we're going to start seeing in the next several months 
how well designed uh, is the interaction of these experiences and what improvements can be made. You know, I know for one uh, hand in New York City, there's a lot going on in the response against coronavirus. We have what's known as the New York City United Against Coronavirus Task Force, which has been up and running just in the past couple weeks. It's amazing to see how people have been mobilizing uh, with resources and information for all New Yorkers. I know there's similar programs going on in San Francisco already, but it's incredible to see that tech workers and tech champions are partnering together in seeing how we can all lend a hand to create more seamless experiences like $0 delivery fees, you know, and, and waiving fees wherever we can to ensure that restaurants um, survive and thrive, to make sure that drivers have protections such as paid uh, health insurance and other opportunities there which we're starting to see all over New York and all over San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think whether we're in a crisis or whether we're in good times, we can always partner together. And what's amazing to see is that all the work happening today is still led by humans. There's no AI that can say, I'm going to put together a coronavirus task force. I'm going to put together, you know, initiatives uh, for bailouts for companies. It really comes down to humans uh, first. Uh, So I think that's really important. Yeah, and we have many tools right now. I think that for all the people that we know uh, here are taking a look at the resources that they have, these technologies, these tools, and just saying, okay, this is a great opportunity to use all of that tool set for a very, very big problem. It's a very urgent, immediate problem. I definitely need to deploy it. And, you know, we don't really, I think that most of the most of them don't care about calling it AI or something else. They're just saying, we need to figure this out right now. And uh, we do live in a very interesting time that we have this amazing knowledge and this amazing tool uh, kit on, you know, how to do new things, how to process more information, how to deploy it faster. So... We'll see how that gets deployed. This is the real deal. This is, uh, you know, an experiment that we didn't think we were going to live, but here we are. That's right. And looking, you know, at deployment, there's always so much to what that means, right? There could be data scientists, there could be software engineers, there could be product managers, many people part of that conversation for deployment. And in fact, from, you know, just speaking in New York City about this task force, you know, we already have so many tech workers who are jumping in and saying, how can I help? How can I lend a hand? And if you're someone who is involved in the tech economy in New York, you know, I encourage you to reach out on any channel, you know, to myself. You can even message me at david.humanepodcast.com. I'm happy to loop you into the work that we're doing and see how we could be volunteers to contribute to this mission. But although that mission is near and dear with coronavirus, I mean, taking a step back to the global economy and to tech and this conversation on product managers, it really is the product manager that partners with software engineers and data scientists to deploy solutions. And I think a lot of employees in the tech economy always wonder, you know, am I ready to be a product manager? You know, is this something I can do? Am I creative enough? Do I have the business experience? And I think we know for certainty that the Cornell Tech Program attracts a lot of tech workers who are interested in making that shift or pivot into product management. So I wanted to hear some of your thoughts around that. You know, who's ideal for product management? And is this something that is great to explore now, especially if you're looking to transition your career? 
I think that if you take a look at the people that either want to continue or they were product managers, so we have people that were product managers and they definitely don't want to be product managers anymore. They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be CEOs, right? So this is uh, just a segment of people. We have some that have been product managers and they want to continue to be product managers, but they want to raise their skill level. So I think that the, the question is less, you know, whether you, you can be a good product manager or not. I think that we definitely give you those skills, but it's more about, can you be a rounded person that has all of these different experience? And by having all of this experience, having the entrepreneurship experience, having the teamwork experience, having led and worked with teams that are multidisciplinary in the, in a real sense, because here people that are on the tech MBA are with computer scientists and with electrical engineers working and vice versa. So as you do that, does this really help you just become a better professional? And I think it does. I think that it really informs you. And then all of a sudden, your life is no longer one thing. It's no longer, oh, I can be a, a product manager and a better one. Now you can be an entrepreneur. You can be a product manager. You can be a CTO. You can be other things. And that's really what we want. I think that we want to open up possibilities of career. We don't mandate what your career should be, right? So at the end, you have to decide what is it that you want to do and uh, what is more attractive and, and what interests you most. But, but if you have these experiences and you have not only the knowledge by the time on experiencing entrepreneurship, and actually that's what we call it, the practice of entrepreneurship, which is practicing, practicing this thing that we call entrepreneurship, it just gives you a completely different mindset and completely different experiences. So you go out there in the world, either already with your own company, so you're already managing not just product, but you're, you might be managing several products and several teams, or you go out there and in a company, you are much, a much, much better professional. And I think that's a little bit of, of what is changing right now is in academia, we tend to just say, be very specialized in one little thing. And, you know, for the most part, that's still, it's still good that you're very specialized on one thing, but just having that one experience is not good enough. You need to have a little bit more. You need to have other experiences. You have to be a little bit of a Renaissance person right now. So, and I love the idea of us bringing a little bit of that, right? Uh, of, of bringing a little bit of this multidiscipline. And yeah, you might still be very good at one one thing, but now you have this idea of many other different things and you understand how they work to your advantage. And so looking at multidiscipline and being a Renaissance person today, mm -hmm. I think one thing that I've discovered that's so unique at Cornell Tech, and I've heard this from different students at programs hosted by Bloomberg, like companies like Via and others that have spoken about the innovation, is that Cornell Tech has something very unique, which is known as studio. And it's really about you know, letting students go beyond the classroom, which we don't see in a lot of other master's programs. What does studio mean to you, Fernando? Well, studio is really, I think, the most innovative part of Cornell Tech. Uh, and we have a, a wonderful team running studio. Uh, Leandra, who's the studio director, uh, Josh, who's the head of entrepreneurship, before them, uh, Greg Pass. So I more than motivate people to actually go and look at the details. But Studio is, is this the core idea that you can practice entrepreneurship while you are in academia, but practicing the real way, meaning that you could be driven to entrepreneurship and you can have that experience of being an entrepreneurship at the same time that you are in academia. And it's a wonderful, wonderful concept because 
you know, people like myself that in many years we, I spent, you know, I did a PhD for maybe too long. I don't want to say how many years it took me, but spending so many years on that, I wish I had the opportunity of someone telling me, you know what, at the same time that you're doing this, you could be practicing what it means to be an entrepreneur. And it's a very powerful but simple concept. And uh, I mean, Greg Pass had this this vision on how to create it and how to scale it up. And if you take a look at the the whole Cornell Tech team right now behind it, it's just uh, I'm amazed every time that uh, that they do the program with practitioners, with professors, with VCs, uh, you know, with a whole bunch of amazing people. Uh, I can I I think I can list people on and on that I feel that are amazing, but they're also there just saying you know what, we just want to teach these kids uh, what it is to practice entrepreneurship, to be an entrepreneur. And it's, I think it's a lot of fun. It's very challenging. But that's definitely something that, that makes us, uh, makes us uh, a, a very different experience than any other university. And uh, in the time that we're in today, I mean, there's so many options out there to learn and we're continuing to move online. Uh, We've talked about during the episode today about online education and, you know, the intentional shift there as a result of the response to COVID-19. I think one of the most fantastic things about the tech economy is you can successfully build products both in person and online. And there's so many tools out there today, not just Zoom and Slack. I mean, there's Figma, there's Airtable, there's so many excellent tools out there today that are helpful for that collaboration. You know, what are some of the best practices that you might have seen, you know, Fernando, with some of your master's students or some of your participants at their startups that they're spinning off from Runway or today that they're starting to set up and say, these are some great best practices that we've been setting forward And whether it's for during COVID-19 or post that, this is how teams can thrive in a remote economy. So I think that the best practice, uh, obviously, there are a lot of tools out there that you could use. And you mentioned uh, Figma, there's Trello, there's Slack, there's a lot of interesting communication. WhatsApp actually is huge in, in a lot of parts of the world for communicating with businesses, too. So for sure, use the tool that makes more sense for the community that you're trying to get to. And it, I think it becomes obvious that there's a, a lot of these tools that are now being used by many people to communicate. So that's great. But I think that more than just focusing on the tools that you're using is focus on what is it that you're doing that is valuable? You know, how are you creating value? And if you focus on creating that value, then you say, well, in order for me to create that value, what do I need to do? What's the most important attribute that I need to place? You know, what is the most important thing that you need to focus on to create it? And that would really drive the tool that you would use, right? So if really is, I want to create a lot of value, but then let's say for hospitals, uh, we have a company, uh, used to be called Airblood, now it's called uh, Hyro. And uh, Hyro is putting a voice to work for hospitals. You Go to a hospital website and no longer have to type and try to find a doctor. You can do it via voice. So what they say is, you know what? I can use natural language processing and voice to give the value of no longer having to take all of this time and effort to finding a doctor and finding information. Uh, so that is the type of vision that, that we tell people is first find the value and then, okay, what is the tool that I need to build that? 
And, you know, for project manager, for project managers and all that, then yeah, for sure, start utilizing tools that are going to help your life easier. And, uh, you know, it could be, uh, you know, some of them would like to use Monday. It could be Salesforce. Maybe it could be HubSpot if you don't have enough money to pay for Salesforce, which a lot of startups don't have. So there's plenty of tools out there. Use that. But more than the tools that you use for the day-to-day is uh, really focus on you know, how is it that you're creating value. And you know what? I've seen a lot of amazing companies that have created a lot of value using Excel. Uh, and uh, you know, to me, I mean, like Excel and Word are, have been rev- revolutionary. And I know that it is crazy that we're still doing a lot of health work and uh, maybe medical record work in Excel, <laughs> which I don't think is very optimal, to be honest. But we can't also deny that it has been wonderfully useful, right? Uh, so we created a lot of value with that. I think like many of our listeners here, I could say that I got my career started in Microsoft Excel. And (laughs) as the software keeps moving into Python and other languages, I I definitely think it will be around for many years to come. And, you know, speaking of the future, we've had today uh, a great conversation about how Cornell Tech is not only responding to COVID-19, but how your startups in the Runway and Spinoffs program are accelerating growth in the tech innovation economy in New York City and globally. Beyond that, you know, Fernando, what other calls to action or messages would you like to share with our listeners today? I think for all of you that are out there, first off, uh, I think that we we want to put the message out there that we have amazingly smart people and oriented towards the common good that are putting a lot of effort into finding solutions. So that is some positive news, right? We don't want to downplay how complicated the situation is. We are taking it seriously because it should be taken seriously. But at the same time, I think that it is an opportunity for all of us to take a look at opportunities to create things that are important for society, things that are good for society. And we are shifting a lot of resources to solve this problem. And we have wonderful people that the first thing when things were you know, were really escalating said, I need to get on this. I need to find a way of, of working with people. I need to bring solutions up. So I see it not just in us. There's been a wonderful entrepreneurship community out there that every day has been sending messages saying, I want to find more startups. I want to fund startups. I want to help startups that are doing this. And so give you a message of hope that you have a lot of people and you have a community that is looking out to solve these big challenges. And and, and it's really working uh, day and night. You know, it could be working 20 hours a day, as I know that some of our researchers are trying to figure out, you know, what is the sequence of uh, COVID? So really, it is wonderful people with a lot of tools and knowledge that are trying to help. And that should give you uh, hope, you know, and, and that should give you some calm that uh, we're definitely, you know, going to get through it and, and we're going to figure out very interesting things and, and hopefully, you know, what, what to do next so that it's not as bad as it was before. Well, Fernando Gomez Baquero from Cornell Tech, thank you so much for your messages of hope and inspiration and on how Cornell Tech is being part of our new digital economy. Thank you for joining us on Humane. No, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, 
trend-setting and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.